If you haven't already, turn in your Bibles, which is God's beautiful revelation of himself and his will and his story to us, and turn to the book of Proverbs. And even though we will now topically be all over the place in the book of Proverbs, it's good to be there, and as you see uh, scriptures or hear them and want to make note of them, you can be ready to leaf there and mark and look. And even though we have already introduced the book, I want to continue uh, to just give you reasons to love the book of Proverbs and to live in it. So these are thoughts from Paul Tripp I heard this week. Um, first of all, he says, I would propose that the book of Proverbs is one of the most referenced portions of the Word of God, and yet perhaps one of the least understood portions of Scripture. So good for you to ponder that. He also said this about Proverbs. All of them, woven together, give us an incredible portrait of everything that the Bible is about and how to live inside that portrait. And then he finished with, I think as we live in them, we will find them, as he said, to be radically insightful, convicting, encouraging, and hope-giving. So two weeks ago, we introduced the book. Last week, we took some time to talk to graduates or those who are transitioning out of the home and how Proverbs speaks so powerfully uh, to those who are in that phase, that season of life that really lasts a decade or two. Um, and we looked at particularly two little portions, Proverbs 1, 7 to 10, where God emphasizes that we are not only to love the Lord our God, but we are to keep at all times a reverent fear, a healthy reverence for him, not forsaking all that our parents have taught us, that we should see that, not as now I can go out and find my own information, but using it as a foundation to then build the rest of our lives on. What a blessing those who grew up in Christian homes and gospel-centered homes and God-loving homes it is. And then third, you're going to encounter sinners. They're going to entice you with all kinds of temptations. Don't consent. And within that, we emphasize choosing your friends, your influences, your voices very, very carefully. And I didn't point this out last week, but many of you recognize this proverb, 1320. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And then we turn to Proverbs 3 and reminded ourselves that trusting God and his word completely rather than just being wise in our own eyes, uh, doing things, leaning on our own understanding, doing the things, the life the way we think we should or the way other Americans do it or whatever. And in the midst of all of that, always fearfully acknowledging the Lord, his lordship over all of our lives. We are foolish, no matter what age we are, whenever we are living in any given moment or situation as if God doesn't exist, as if he isn't supremely important in everything, as if he won't hold us accountable for everything within that, and as if God is not in control of everything. So now, today, we're going to begin... Uh, throughout the summer, this look at various topics, particular themes that Proverbs highlights and speaks of often, and we're going to start with words and how all of our words matter. God has so much to say about how we talk. 
more than family, more than sexuality, more than money, more than work. So many other big themes in Proverbs, but predominant over that is our words. And so we're going to do it in two parts, try and tackle it in two Sundays. Today, predominantly, ways our words can be foolish or sinful, and we're probably not going to get through all of them. I don't know whether we'll drop the rest or highlight them quickly next Sunday. And then next Sunday, turning to the other side of the coin in ways that the wise or the righteous use words to honor God. Words matter greatly to God. He used it to create. It's the way he's chosen to reveal himself to us, primarily. It's the way he's referred to his own son as the word. It's the way we're created in his likeness to be able to use language and communicate unlike any other aspect of his marvelous creation. And it's the way God has chosen to convey the gospel. All of us who are saved by God's grace through faith are saved because we heard words that had power to save us and we believed them. So, God's words obviously matter supremely. But what Proverbs makes clear is our words matter greatly to God. Every one of them. It's staggering to think about that. No one but God alone is able to know every one of our words, every one of ours, and remember them and hold us accountable for them and judge them purely. What we said, why we said it, to whom we said it, how we said it. Unimaginable to us. We get creeped out by how much our phones and Alexa hear us and record us and what they do as a result. But let's be far more concerned about God holding us accountable for every word we speak. In fact, God uses words, even today in Proverbs, to teach us how to use words or how not to use them. So every single word matters so much so that Jesus said in Matthew 13, that on the day of judgment that is coming, even for believers, not because of condemnation, because our sins are paid for, but in terms of accountability before our God for how we have lived in light of Jesus Christ and the gospel, we'll give an account. And really, we're giving an account for every word we've spoken. But Jesus is emphasizing here, the ones you don't think are significant, the ones you think that don't matter, the ones you've been careless with and let slip out unguarded, you'll be accountable for those as well. We know these things, but good reminders, words come out so effortlessly. It's so hard to limit and, and be careful with those. It's easy to be careless. It's so hard to control that or to fully let the Holy Spirit have control of all of our words. And our words are powerful. Forget that adage that sticks and stones can break our bones, but names never hurt us. Are you kidding? Our tongues have enough power to destroy marriages, families, friendships. Emotional and spiritual wounds from our words often last longer than physical wounds. And once words are out of our mouths, they are irretractable. 
Many of them are quickly forgotten. But some of them are remembered for a lifetime. So before we dive into the bevy of Proverbs, let's set the stage just reminding us from the New Testament, from James, and many people call James the Proverbs of the New Testament. And these are familiar, but we need to have this on repeat, constantly aware that inside of our face, inside of our skull is this machine of our tongue, our speech, our crafting of words that's incredible. So James 3, if you could go to the next slide, gives us nine startling truths about our tongues. Very quickly, that of all our body parts, it's the hardest one to bridle perfectly. That our tongues are actually this fire, and that word picture will come out more again. It's a world of unrighteousness, meaning this tiny little cavity actually has massive implications for evil and sin, or for good. Our tongues stain our whole body, meaning we can be made filthy just by the way that we talk. They, our tongues set our entire course of life on fire. In other words, one sentence even can blow up our lives, can blow up somebody else's life. And what a graphic one. Our tongues are set on fire by hell. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we talk about Satan and lying. Goes on, as if, James, <laughs> as if that isn't enough. James adds, they're untamable. We have to have God's help. And then he comes back to two more evils about it. It's a restless evil, meaning it's constant, constant. Every day, there isn't a day that we don't have to be concerned about the potential for sin with our tongues. And it's full of deadly poison, much like the fire picture, just spreading poison all over. A proverb that perhaps captures some of this same sense is Proverbs 18.7. Next slide, if you would which says, a fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Interesting way to put that, isn't it? Yet, as hard as that is, God doesn't make that easy on us or make it lax. He doesn't lower his standards. And this is one of a billion reasons why we need Jesus. He calls us in Ephesians 4 to not let a single corrupting talk or word NIV translates that unwholesome. So not wholesome to God, not wholesome to those who hear our words or read our words. Don't let one come out, but only words that are good for building up, that fit the occasion, that give grace to everybody who hears them. And then he seems to connect that to the fact that how we talk can greatly grieve the heart of the Holy Spirit of God in light of the fact that he has sealed us for the day of redemption. So words matter greatly to God. So much so that in Proverbs 18, 21, he says perhaps the most gripping truth about our tongues, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our tongue can be and our words can be a means of incredible good and blessing to bring salvation even to people. And it can be a means of incredible harm and damage. Our words can point people toward Christ and the things of God or away from him. Tim Challies unpacked this thought this way. Words have immense power, 
Power to do such good and power to do such harm. Words can strengthen the weak or crush them. Comfort the sorrowful or grieve them. Relieve the burdened or weigh them down all the more. Words can be a taste of life or a savor of death. A scent of heaven or a whiff of hell. They can do the work of God or of the devil. Serve the cause of Christ or of his enemies. Words are so wonderful and so terrible, so beautiful and so horrible, so precious and so dreadful. Little wonder then that the Bible addresses the word, our words so often and with, with such solemnity. For our words put a choice before us every day and in every moment. Every time we open our mouths, every time we swipe our screens, every time we tap our keyboards, we take to ourselves the power of life and death. And so those two categories, we're going to frame our two Sundays here. Yes, we are going to get to actually looking at Proverbs on the Tongue. Just so many thoughts. I thought, oh, this would be good to introduce. This would be good. One final one. Then we'll pray. We'll unpack. God wants us sensitized to every word that we speak. Now, it's highly unlikely among us here that you're speaking as a fool all the time. Certainly hope not. But it's highly likely that you're speaking as a fool sometimes. And it's those sinful words that God wants to redeem and flip from being foolish and dishonoring to him to being wise and righteous and pleasing and glorifying to him. Father, we ask again as we come to your word to be merciful to us who are sinners. For our mouths and tongues and words are still so sinful and still in need of such grace in the gospel of your son. We come to your words in Proverbs that are so pure and sinless, so wise, so life-giving, so heart-transforming. And ask for your Holy Spirit's help to understand these words better, to feel them more deeply, to remember them so they become our way of thinking and to obey and apply them in all of our lives. To make us more like your son who never spoke one sinful word. Make us more like our all-wise Jesus and make our tongues more and more like his. We ask in his name, by his power, and for his glory. Amen. Most of you won't notice. We'll generally take topics like how do you pick which ones you're going to do and where you go, and it's somewhat just praying and uh, trusting that the Lord is leading you. But they're not always going to be, they're usually going to be in a chronological order, which means they're not always in a flow of thought order. Uh, sometimes I move those around, but for the most part, you're just going to see them more chronologically as they appear. So a number of ways we're going to talk about words that cause death. And the first of those, because it's such a prominent theme in Proverbs, is that we are fools when we use words to mislead people from the truth. Whether it's lying, one, one main word that Proverbs uses, which is in essence hiding the truth, speaking something other than the truth. Deceiving, which is distortion of the truth. It will often have some truth, 
but it will have other parts that are not that make it false or deceptive. And then Proverbs speaks often of the bearing of false witness, which you might recognize also as the ninth commandment. Just the sheer quantity tells us two things. It's a prevalent problem, and God cares greatly about it. So let's just highlight, there's three slides worth of Proverbs here, just on lying, deception, and false witness. We're not going to talk about each one because we're going to cover 40-some by the time uh, the clock runs out on us today, Lord willing. But just perhaps note some that particularly stand out to you for your own life, perhaps for your family, perhaps for somebody else that you're discipling. In Proverbs 6, 16 to 19, God lists seven things that are an absolute abomination. So it's a way for him to highlight. It's not that the other sins aren't, but there's a way for him to highlight that these things are particularly repugnant to him. Pride is first, haughty eyes, and second is a lying tongue. And sixth is one who bears false witness. Uh, or breathes out lies is another way that it's worded, which is quite a graphic picture. We lie as easily as we breathe. And some of us, as often as we breathe, we breathe out lies just like we exhale. Lots of other uh, descriptions in here. Uh, a lying tongue is but for a moment. We often think the deceit and lying solves something, fixes something, covers over something, gets us out of something. But it's only a momentary solution, and it always has consequences that are then regrettable. Proverbs 16, 28, a dishonest man, one of the consequences is he spreads strife. That's because our line is done to other people, and it affects them, and it affects our relationship with them, and often wreaks much havoc. I think it was Alexander Pope in a poem that said, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when at first we begin to deceive. More Proverbs on these themes. Proverbs 19.1. It's better to be poor and walking in your integrity or truthfulness than one who is crooked in speech and a fool. More about false witnesses and God seems to emphasize in here the perishing of them. Proverbs 20.17 and 21.6 give us two examples where we think we're gaining by being deceitful or lying. Bread, any kind of good, sustenance that we need, but how that will later make our mouth or our life full of gravel. And then the getting of treasures. And God just reminds us, that's what, what you give up by lying to gain a fleeting vapor and a snare of death is never, ever worth it. Proverbs 25, 18 describes a man who bears false witness against his neighbor, who speaks untruthfully about him. As if you're a war club, listen to these instruments, a war club, a sword, or a sharp arrow. Like that's what you're doing to people whom you are bearing false witness about. And then uh, 26, 18, and 19, you're like a madman who's throwing firebrands, arrows, and death when you deceive and then cover it up by saying that you were just joking. Proverbs ties together lying and hate. In essence, if you lie to someone, you hate them. You don't value them. You value whatever you're gaining by your lying or deceit. So you can see Proverbs then that address that and describe that and deal with that. And then I plopped into the midst of that, the opposite of that. Proverbs 24, 26 
says that honest answers, truthfulness is like a kiss on the lips. So to wrap this first subtopic up, a fitting prayer that's near the end of Proverbs is Proverbs 30, verse 8. Lord, remove from me falsehood of any shape, size, form, and line. And to just back that up, we could give a lot of reasons for not lying. But we need just one, this reminder from John 8. God is truth, so he cannot lie. He will never lie. He has never lied to us, ever. He never will. Satan is truthless. He only lies. And that's how Jesus described him in John 8. He doesn't stand in the truth because there's no, notice that word, no truth in him. All of it's distorted. All of it's used for evil. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar. And he's the father, the originator, the spark plug of all lies. So when we speak truth, we side with God. We honor him and his nature. We choose his path of life. And when we, in any shape or form, do not speak the truth, we take the way of Satan, and we actually honor his nature. So kids, young people, in any given situation, lying and deception are incredibly tempting and so easy, so easy. But it is never worth it in the long run. And remember always that God despises it. Someone said it's not hard to tell a lie, but it's almost impossible to tell only one. So a closing truth from Proverbs 23, 23. Buy truth. No matter what it costs you, get it, live in it, and do not sell it. Do not compromise it. Do not trade it off ever for a deception or a false witness or a lie. Second subtopic of our words is that we are sinful fools when we gossip or slander. I'm mostly going to lump those together. So it got to that point of, do I make two slides out of this? But there's some effectiveness to seeing them all together. Now, the ESV translates gossip as whisper. So it's a depiction. A whisper is a gossip here, if you think of other translations where you see gossip more often in Proverbs. And it's the idea of revealing a secret that doesn't need to be or probably shouldn't be shared. So you'll see the word secrets come up in uh, some of these Proverbs as well. It may be true information, but it's damaging information. It's often about other people's sin. And it isn't just about what we say, but why we say it. And here in Proverbs 18, this is what I'm taking out of order, is why gossip is so alluring to us. The words of a whisper or a gossip or a slander are like delicious morsels. They go down or slide down into the inner parts of our body. So a gossip hands out information like it's succulent sweets, but it's all tainted with poison. Many more verses that you can see there. Three Proverbs in a row, 16, 28, 17, 9, 26, 22, that all stress 
that this kind of a person will ruin friendships and will separate close friends. They'll alienate their own friends from them and they will break up or interfere with others' friendships with each other. And when there is no whisper around strife, quarreling, the conflict between people goes down. And then slander, much in the same vein, and now it's to give information in order to lower another's opinion. Often it's not true or not accurate or not the complete or full picture, but it's a way to tear somebody down that we, if we're expressing the slander or listening to the slander, are wanting to lower, to be above, uh, to take down a notch. And you can see a number of proverbs there warning us as well. Charles Bridges here with a good, I think, concluding set of questions about this. Are we closely watching against these sins? Do we carefully squelch the rising flame of a desire to incite quarrels? Do we resist the temptation to speak needlessly about the faults of others? Do we feel indignant at, we may feel indignant at being accused of being a gossip. Yet it requires no ordinary exercise of Christian discipline to maintain the silence of love. Isn't that a good wording? And to regulate both the tongue and the ear within its well-advised limits. A third big tendency of fools that we can fall into is to speak in haste. Proverbs 12:18 speaks of it as rash words. NIV translates that reckless words. This is the same idea as Jesus was speaking about careless words. It's words that come out that haven't really been filtered. There hasn't been a lot of thought put into them. It's just been almost instantaneously. First thing that pops into our mind, often they're words that we feel strongly about something. We're angry about something. We have a passion about something. We're sarcastic in some way. Those are all quick. And many of us are quick-minded and therefore quick words. And they often can do far more harm than we realize. Proverbs 15, 28. The mouth of the wicked pours out evil. It just keeps coming, gushing out like out of a fire hydrant. Wisdom patiently considers how to speak. That's why wise people are often the last to speak and say the least. Meanwhile, foolish talkers blurt out the first things that pop into their minds and they would rather be quick and clever than slow and thoughtful. Somebody said, foolishness always results when the tongue outraces the brain. A couple more Proverbs there, and I will just wrap this thought up with James 1.19. Three words in there that we're familiar with, but so good here. Be slow to speak. Another area very closely related is babbling. Tendency of fools is just to talk a lot, to talk incessantly, to prefer to talk than to listen, to always feel like some, somebody that one has something to say and often taking a very long time to get it all out. And I would just say here, if you are a verbal processor, in other words, if you think by talking, beware of babbling. Like some of that, you just need to go off and talk to a rock. <clears throat> Get your thoughts figured out, come back, and then express it in a healthy way to a human. And just a reminder from Proverbs 10:19 there, 
When words are many, transgression is not lacking. Or another translation, when words are many, sin is unavoidable. The more words we use, the more likely we will babble and speak foolishly. So just like last week, choose your friends carefully. This week we would say, choose your words carefully. Boil them down to what are really more necessary or important or wise. Fifth, when our words are harsh or belittling of people, we are speaking as fools, speaking sinfully. And even though there's only one proverb that uses the word harsh, you might also recognize it as a warning, particularly husbands, that we are not to be harsh with our wives. I think harshness is also caught up in Colossians 3.21's warning to parents, to fathers, not to provoke or discourage their children or exasperate them. But I think often our words that are harsh do so. Get others riled up. The Proverbs 15.1 says that's the way you generally make something a fight or an argument or a disagreement, whatever you want to call it, a quarrel, a spat. And it's because our pride, putting ourselves above others, makes us often harsh toward them. And a reminder here, just because it's been true in my own life far too often, that words we speak may not seem harsh to us, but they may be to those who hear them. We can't always control that, but we should be sensitive to that. And then very closely tied in is Proverbs eleven twelve about belittling our neighbor. To make somebody smaller, belittle, less important, lower, whatever it might be. And it just says when we do that, we lack sense. We're just ignorant. We're just stupid. And finally for today, we speak foolishly when we flatter and when we brag and boast. Both of these show up in the latter parts of Proverbs in the last third or so, but then are repeated several times. Flattery, first of all, to praise another, but not sincerely, not genuinely. There's either another motive or it's just a fakey way of talking. It's a false praise. And Satan, of course, is the master flatterer, and he often uses flattery of us in our tempting of us. And then bragging or boasting, the love of talking about oneself, one's accomplishments, our kids' accomplishments, good things that we've done, trying to ensure that others know of something, something good that us, that we or someone we love has done. We boast about ourselves. We boast about the future. We boast about the deals we make. We boast about the gifts we're going to give, but then we don't ultimately give them. In other words, it's easy to make promises about the future and boast about how generous and kind we're going to be to somebody and how we're going to reward them and then not to come through on it. So there's more Proverbs of ways that we speak foolishly. We may or may not note some next Sunday. We'll see how the Lord unpacks that this week. But uh, we will spend some time on the other side of ways that words can really bless. Let me close with these thoughts. Let's come back, first of all, to the Paul Tripp quote, one of them from the beginning of the message, and just maybe think through these four aspects of what Tripp says the book of Proverbs does. What 
And let's just pose it as questions. What insights did the Proverbs give you today about God, about yourself, your heart, your mind, your tongue, about others? Secondly, in what ways did any of the Proverbs convict you? We'll circle back to that. Third, in what ways did any of the Proverbs encourage you? How will they guide you going forward in your life? And fourth, in what ways did any of the Proverbs give you hope? Or in the language we would more commonly use, how does the gospel speak to these Proverbs? And we'll come back to that one. So let's come back to question two, first of all, about conviction. If the Lord has convicted you today in any way, what are you going to do about it? Forget it? Suppress it? Or repent? And by God's grace, turn from it. Trip again. Listen, conviction isn't judgment. Conviction is God putting his arms around us, drawing us close, and keeping us near. A way of his saying, my son, I want you to address these things so that your speech reflects my nature more. And then Proverbs 28, 13, we may look at this every single week that we're in Proverbs. Whoever conceals his transgressions, we can conceal them from ourselves, like we can lie about how much we lie to ourselves, we can lie. We can deceive ourselves about how deceptive of a being we actually are. Sometimes that has to come from others. We can conceal it from others. Most of the time, that's what our pride is trying to do. But most foolish of all is to think that we can conceal it from God. But he who confesses and forsakes, notice those two beautifully tied together, will obtain mercy. And now let's come back to question four. Given our propensity to sin with our words, which apart from Christ condemns us, remember Jesus' words, people can be sent to hell simply on the evidence of their words if you use nothing else in their lives but that. So what is our gospel hope when we see that kind of sin in us? And it is Jesus Christ and his perfect righteousness and payment. And I want you to think about it in two particular realms. One, his righteous position that he gives us, that his righteousness is imputed to us. Hopefully I'll remember to come back to the second one. But let me just remind you, every one of Jesus' words were full of grace and truth. He never lied, never once deceived, never once bore false witness. He never gossiped about anyone. He never slandered a single human being. He never spoke rashly, hastily, or harshly. And even when he confronted with truth, he never belittled. He never flattered. And he never boasted or bragged. But the second way to think of Christ is also the power that he gives us and his desire to transform us into his likeness, so that our words are much more like his. And here we'll turn to Ray Ortland. On the cross, Jesus loved us so much that he took the divine condemnation for our lies, insults,
gossip, put-downs, bragging, false promises, and griping. As well as our guilty silence when we should have spoken up, he took it all onto himself and hit the delete button. Look at him on his cross, dying for what you and I have said and what we've left unsaid. See him there, trust him, and you are finally free of it all forever. The Psalms give us, which speak a ton, we could do messages on what the Psalms say about our words as well, but they give us a couple of great prayers, more so than Proverbs does, that we'll close with this morning. Psalm 141.3 is the prayer, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, keep watch over the door of my lips, so that nothing comes out that doesn't honor you. And then the prayer at the end of Psalm 19, that beautiful psalm, it's a prayer I used to in better seasons of my life, pray almost daily. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, we desire to be a people who talk like our God. And we're not. And so we ask you freshly to forgive us. But we also know, Lord, that Jesus didn't just die to pay for our word sins. He died to transform them into righteous things. So, Lord, would you do your work in every one of us, 150-some mouths sitting here today, that have power of life and death. And would you make us ever more life-giving speakers, speakers of the life-giving words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And would you continue to kill that foolish, fleshly, sinful speaking that we do so that our words portray to this world a radically different and beautiful word-loving God, we pray in your name. Amen.